It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And this is the Virtual Bible Study. It's Thursday night, May the 3rd, right? Yeah, May the 3rd, Thursday night, May the 3rd. The Virtual Bible Study is on the air. Thanks for joining us. If you're out there on the Internet listening live, we appreciate you very much. We always encourage you to be ready to participate in our discussion. You can do that by calling us. Our number is toll-free, 877-381-4567. You can always email us. We monitor our emails throughout the program. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com. And the chat room is up and running, and we've got a few people in the chat room already. Uh, Join us in the chat room. Make your comments there. We'll try to monitor the comments that are posted uh, we've already got uh, uh, Henry Peeve from the United Kingdom over in England is already in the chat room talking. Several others are joining in, and we want you to participate. You can get a free uh, uh, account there on Chat Roll to be in the chat room. Uh, give yourself a name. It can be your real name. It can be just a pen name uh, so that you're identified as you make your comments. We'll try to monitor those comments as we go along. Uh, Jacob is out of town tonight, visiting with family out of state, and so I'm in his chair tonight, and in my normal chair is Monty Overton. Monty, thanks for joining us on the virtual Bible study tonight. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for letting me. Monty's one of the members of the church here at College U and often helps us uh, on the virtual Bible study. We appreciate his help always. Running the board tonight is Jeff. Jeff, thanks for being there to help out. And we've got a couple of... Uh, uh, in a live studio audience tonight. A couple of our members are setting in to listen to the discussion tonight. And we've got several who are out there on the Internet listening. And we know, of course, that many of you listen in the archive versions. We're always glad for that as well. All right, let me tell you about the topic that we want to discuss tonight. This comes right out of the news. I don't know how many of you have seen it, but there's been quite extensive news coverage this week of a fellow by the name of Dan Savage. Now, Dan Savage uh, is a newspaper journalist and editor. Uh, he's a homosexual activist. He himself is homosexual and is, and is an activist uh, in those regards. And he's the founder of uh, a project called It Gets Better. And his big emphasis has been on trying to stop the bullying against homosexuals. Uh, and so he, he speaks at various public events in that regard. This week, earlier, maybe it was last week, but just recently, he addressed a high school journalism convention. Uh, Supposedly, it was on the subject of bullying. And in the course of his uh, discussion, he lit out on the Bible and attacked it quite vigorously. I've put a link to the video. If you want to see it in the chat room, I posted the link to that video. But you should be warned if you're going to listen to it. It's ugly. It's got profanity and swear words in it. And it's just uh, disgusting uh, perversion. I'll just say it that way. Uh, 
But if, if you care to look at it, the link is there. Earlier today to our update list, I sent out an edited version of the text of the message that Dan Savage gave to that high school journalism convention. And I want to read this because this is going to be the basis of our discussion tonight. Here's what Dan Savage said. People often point out that they can't help it. They can't help with the anti-gay bullying because it says right there in Leviticus. It says right there in Timothy. It says right there in Romans that being gay is wrong. We can't ignore the blank in the Bible about gay people. The same, excuse me, we can learn to ignore the blank in the Bible about gay people the same way we have learned to ignore the blank in the Bible about shellfish, about slavery, about dinner, about farming, about so on and so forth. We ignore the blank in the Bible about all sorts of things. The Bible is a radically pro-slavery document. Slave owners waved Bibles over their heads during the Civil War and justified it. The shortest book in the New Testament is a letter from Paul to a Christian slave owner about owning his Christian slave. And Paul doesn't say Christians don't own people. Paul talks about how Christians own people. We ignore what the Bible says about slavery because the Bible got slavery wrong. Sam Harris, in a letter to a Christian nation, points out that the Bible got the easiest moral question that humanity has ever faced wrong, slavery. What are the odds that the Bible got something as complicated as human sexuality wrong? A hundred percent. The Bible says that if your daughter is not a virgin on her wedding night, if a woman isn't a virgin on her wedding night, she shall be dragged to her father's doorstep and stoned to death. And there is no effort to amend state constitutions to make it legal to stone women to death on their wedding night if they're not virgins, at least not yet. People are dying because people can't clear this one last hurdle. They can't get past this one last thing in the Bible about homosexuality. I apologize if I've hurt anyone's feelings, but I have a right to defend myself and to point out the hypocrisy of people who justify anti-gay bigotry by pointing to the Bible and insisting we must live by the code of Leviticus on this one issue and no other. All right, that's a little longer than we usually read on the Virtual Bible Study, but I, I, sometimes we show videos, video clips of some of the things that we want to discuss on the Virtual Bible Study, but Dan Savage's clip was so vulgar I didn't think it was appropriate to play it on the virtual Bible study. So we've given you sort of an edited version. Those are his words. We left out a few of the worst of the things that he had to say. Uh, you get the idea. He's saying, Monty, he's saying we've learned to ignore a lot of the things the Bible says about various things. We need to learn to ignore what the Bible says about being gay. That's his argument, basically. Well, Greg, I would like to think that at least at the members of the church here at College U and other faithful sound congregations that I'm aware of and visited and attended over my life, that uh, we don't ignore anything the Bible has to say on any subject. Uh, I'm not aware of any subject that we are ignoring here at College View. If someone could point it out to me, I would be glad to get up and preach about it if they think that we're ignoring it, because, but I don't think that we are. Okay. We want to deal with that. I, I think you're exactly right, and that's part of what we want to discuss. To our update list, I sent out these questions, and, the, and this is sort of what we want to deal with from Dan Savage's uh, address Number one, and how are you going to respond to these claims by Dan Savage? Number one, he claims we're guilty of bullying when we condemn homosexuality based upon what the Bible teaches. That's one. He, two, he claims that since we ignore certain dietary restrictions, farming rules, rules about virginity and so forth in the Bible, we can choose to ignore what it says about homosexuality. Number three, he claims that the Bible is a radically pro-slavery document. 
Number four, he claims that the Bible got slavery wrong. Therefore, there's a 100% chance that the Bible got something as complicated as human sexuality wrong. And number five, Dan Savage claims that Christians are, quote, insisting we must live by the code of Leviticus on this one issue, homosexuality, and no other. So we want to take those claims one at a time and sort of prove that he was wrong on everything that he said about those who believe the Bible and are trying to practice true New Testament Christianity. Monty, what the guy has done is pretty typical of those who can't make an argument to really justify their position. He's built a straw man. He has accused that he doesn't even understand what we believe and teach. But in order to make us look bad, he ascribes to us certain positions that we don't even hold to. You know, that's right. And I was listening to a talk radio show not long back, and he was talking about people with these liberal points of view. And he says when they don't have the facts to back up their arguments, then they attack the persons that they're arguing with. Rather than answering questions based on fact and sound doctrine, when they can't do that, then they just go off and they attack the person that's making those arguments. And when he says that we're bullying when we condemn homosexuality and these other things, well, we're not bullying, but because he doesn't have facts to back up his arguments, then he starts attacking us. Yeah. In the chat room, Dave says the man Savage is a coward. He said he has a right to defend himself, so he spouts off in front of a bunch of high school students, then makes fun of those who walk out rather than have to listen to him as if they would have had a chance to respond. He obviously doesn't know what the scriptures teach. Uh, Henry P. in England says he talks about the he insulted those who were walking out. Uh, He's and and he goes on to say, if you're being bullied, the best thing you can do is walk away. Dave adds one of the saddest things is how many in the audience were cheering his comments. If you watch the video, uh, a, a number of the students walked out and Dan Savage ridiculed them in the course of his speech. They were obviously people who were offended by what he was saying. They walked out. He ridiculed them. But many others were cheering when he made these outlandish statements about the Bible. Um, as, uh, Henry P. in England says, The God of this world has blinded the eyes of those, lest they should believe the Lord of glory. Probably hopelessly misquoted. Uh, he's quoting a, a concept from the scriptures. Some are blinded. They can't see. I believe he's right. Uh, Anthony is in the chat room. He says, Dave, you're right on. This was cowardly behavior. The, the first thing that I, I think we, we're going to take a break here in just a minute, but before we get to that, uh, one of the things that I think is ju- that just jumps out at you in regards to this, he was there. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about whoever would organize a convention for high school students who would invite a radical like Dan Savage to address them, but he was supposedly there to talk about bullying. He's a homosexual. He feels that he's been bullied. Well, he's, this is an anti-bullying speech. In the course of it, he is very guilty of bullying. Uh, uh, I think uh, that, as uh, Henry P. said in the chat room, uh, to speak against bullying and bully at the same time must kill his credibility, and I think that it surely does. You know, in the last line of the speech, as you have it printed out for me here, or the next to the last line, he's talking about pointing out the hypocrisy of people trying to justify anti-gay bigotry. Well, here he's being a hypocrite himself. He's there to talk about not bullying people, and he turns around and bullies them himself. So, I mean, he doesn't have any any room to talk about people being hypocrites. I think that's exactly right. One of the things that we can learn, I mean, this guy sets a, an incredibly negative example, but we can learn something from that. 
And and that's probably that even when we're addressing people with whom we disagree, seriously disagree, it's real counterproductive for us to, to uh, engage in ad hominem attacks against those people. Uh, when we're arguing a point, let us argue it based upon the truth of the Scripture. Let's give book, chapter, and verse. Let's give a thus saith the Lord. But we don't have to. We don't have to. Uh, Go down in the in the uh, gutter. We don't have to waller in the gutter. Yeah, with, with a guy like this. I mean, th- th- this guy, he shows uh, he shows what that group of people with that sort of an agenda in our society are really like, and we need to be better than that. So I, that's probably one lesson that we can learn from it. Um, uh, we, we've got a minute. I want to remind you of the questions that we're going to ask, and, and then we're going to go to our break. When we get back from the break, we'll, we'll go to these questions. Number one, here's the question. If we want to know what you think, send us an email. We'd be glad to take a phone call. The email is questions at collegeview.com. Uh, the phone number, toll-free, 877-381-4567. Uh, certainly get in the chat room. I see Jacob is in the chat room um, and he's get, Jeffy's giving you some instruction in the chat room. We're getting some static again this week uh, as we had last week, and so uh, we'll see if we can get rid of that. Uh, Jacob is uh, is in the chat room, so we'll hope that he'll participate as well. Uh, here's the questions that we're going to talk about when we get back from break. Number one, how are you going to answer Dan Savage when he says, we're guilty of bullying when we condemn homosexuality based upon what the Bible teaches? So if we teach the truth, if we're quoting Scripture, is that bullying? We'll talk about that. Number two, since we ignore certain dietary restrictions, farming rules, rules about virginity, and so forth uh, in the Bible, can we thus choose to ignore what the Bible says about homosexuality? Number three, Dan Savage says, the Bible is a radically pro-slavery document. Do you believe that? Number four, the Bible got slavery wrong. Therefore, there's a 100% chance that the Bible got something as complicated as human sexuality wrong. How are you going to answer that? And then finally, how are you going to answer him when he says Christians are insisting that we live by the code of Leviticus on the one issue of homosexuality, but not any other issues? We're going to look at those when we get back from the break. Uh, Be ready to participate. The virtual Bible study will be back in a moment, right after this break. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we will hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Here's some quotes worth pondering. In seeking wisdom, thou art wise. In imagining that thou hast attained it, thou art a fool. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you get neither. Anger, if not restrained, is frequently more hurtful to us than the injury that provokes it. Man, I wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. 
And we're back on the virtual Bible study, uh, hoping that you'll join us and participate as we discuss an interesting comment uh, that's been in the news this week, a a speech by Dan Savage to a group of high school journalism students. Uh, In the the chat room, guest uh, 730 asked, uh, would you ever consider a public debate with someone like Dan Savage about homosexuality? At what point do we just ignore these people? And then he references Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Uh, you remember Jesus' statement there when he says, Give not that which is holy to the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Monty, how do we decide? In other words, how do we decide whether to even respond to a guy like Dan Savage on a subject like this? Well, the guy asked about would we consider holding a public debate with him. If you could, con- if you could be convinced that this person would follow an orderly process and be decent and cordial in the debate and stick to the facts, then yes, I would say that we could probably have a debate with him. But he's proved in this speech that he was given that he's not capable of doing that, or at least at this point he wasn't willing to do that by the profanity he used, uh, by the way he talked bad about the people as they got up and walked out, by the, his insulting and rude behavior. You can't debate somebody like that. If you've got someone that can, you can d- discuss the facts with in an intelligent, orderly manner, then, yeah, you can respond to them. But for someone like this, I don't think a public debate or, it, or even a phone conversation would probably be profitable for us. I believe it would be a waste of our time for him and me both. Well, it's always a judgment call, don't you agree? Yeah. Th- this business of casting your pearls before swine, to make that decision say, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to try to deal with that guy anymore because he's demonstrated that he's not honorable. That's a, that's a call we have to make. It's not an easy call sometimes. Sometimes more difficult than others. Uh, but having said that, I, I don't know that we could make any progress with Dan Savage. My guess is that it probably, probably is. Probably per- not with him. It's pearls before swine. But for us to deal with the subject of what he said on the virtual Bible study, I think is beneficial because it helps prepare us to deal with these kind of accusations that are increasing against God's people. More and more we're hearing people say things like this. Mm -hmm. And I think as the people of God, we've got to be at least prepared to give an answer, maybe not to a specific individual, but to the concept at large uh, that's being promoted in, in the world. Well, the scriptures tell us to be prepared to give an answer to anyone that asks us of the reason of the hope that's within us. And I believe that this would be part of that answer that we should be prepared to give. If we believe that homosexuality is wrong or fornication in general is wrong or any of these other things that he mentioned, uh, if we believe they're wrong, then we need to be able to, to give an intelligent argument or an intelligent reason based on the scriptures why we believe that. And then a person who we're talking to can decide for themselves how they're going to handle that but we should be able to do it in an intelligent, insightful manner and not in a rude and cruel behavior. I think you're right. I think you're exactly right. Um, All right, here's the first thing that Savage claimed. He claimed that we are guilty of bullying when we condemn homosexuality based on what the Bible teaches. One of the observations I would make, Monty, is that homosexuals are not the only people who are bullied in school. Lots of people get bullied in school. Most, probably the majority of people get bullied in school. At one time or another. You know, kids who are overweight get bullied in school. Kids like me who are uncoordinated get bullied at school. We've probably all been bullied at one time or another about something. Christians certainly get, young people who are trying to live as faithful Christians get bullied in school. There's a lot of bullying that takes place. We're not justifying bullying 
And so the first thing that I would argue is get your definitions right. You know, bullying is not a pleasant thing. People typically have to learn to deal with it because you're going to get bullied about one thing or another very likely in this world. We should not bully people when it comes to our teaching of the religion of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think in the chat room, Jeff, you said we have to make sure we keep our attitude in check as well. I think that's right. In other words, we would not want to conduct ourselves in such a fashion that an objective observer would say, you're mean-spirited and ugly, and you're driving people away because of your harsh, hateful attitude. We should not do that. Wouldn't you agree? I agree with that completely. And I think also when we think of bullying, he says that we're guilty of bullying when we condemn homosexuality based on what the Bible teaches. Are we guilty of bullying when we condemn murder based on what the Bible teaches? Are we guilty of bullying when we condemn stealing based upon what the Bible teaches? You know, if teaching one Bible subject is bullying, then teaching every Bible subject is bullying. I think that's a great observation. In other words, just by virtue of us teaching what the Bible says about homosexuality is not bullying. As you said, no more so than the bank robber thinks we're bullying him when we tell him, Ephesians 4.28, let him that stole steal no more. And so the bank robber says, you're bullying me. You're beating me over the head with the Bible. You keep reading those verses that say I shouldn't be stealing. I steal. That's what I do. Well, that's not bullying when you're just teaching the truth on any moral subject. It's not bullying. Now, is that to say that some in the name of religion haven't been ugly, hateful, and mean-spirited about different moral questions? Probably. We're not saying that that's never happened. It probably has. We're saying that we want to be careful not to be in that realm. But to simply teach the truth on an important moral question is not of necessity bullying. But that's what Dan Savage has tried to suggest. Well, it gets back to he doesn't have the facts to back him up. Whatever excuses or reasons he might give for participating in a homosexual lifestyle, they don't stand up to the light of cold scientific factors, cold biblical fact. And so then he has to start calling names. Oh, you're bullying me, rather than saying, oh, well, the facts that you suggest are accurate, and maybe he needs to change his ways. Yeah. In the chat room, Dave says our attitude should be right. However, we can use strong language in pointing out what kind of man he shows himself to be. We can show people his ignorance of the truth and of the scriptures. I agree. You know, one of the things that we've got to remember is that our Lord himself used some really strong language when he addressed the hypocrites and the false teachers of his day. For instance, do you remember the address that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 23 when he was talking about the scribes, the Pharisees, called them hypocrites numerous times in one short address. And, for instance, he used expressions like this, Matthew 23, 27, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you liken to whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous to men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Well, I'm sure those scribes and Pharisees felt the sting of his words, but he was telling them the truth that they needed to hear if they were ever going to be brought to the reality of their undone spiritual condition. And that's our duty, too. And so we've got to teach the truth. We're going to do it. Hopefully, as Paul said, we should speak the truth in love, but we've got to speak the truth. 
And if people are offended with the truth, that does not make us guilty of bullying. You know, the Bible in some places talks about being patient with brothers that are erring and that need our help to change their ways. And in other places, it talks about being firm with them. And in other places, it talks about rebuking them sharply. So there's a judgment has to be made. It's not that we should just start in on the sharp, harsh rebukes. We, we work our way up toward that, but it eventually gets to a point when they have to, stronger words have to be used or stronger attitude in delivery of the speech has to be used. But we shouldn't be doing it in a, necessarily in a rude and insulting way, but, but we have to do it in a firm way that can get the attention that needs to be done. I think you're right. Jeff, you added in the chat room, strong language is not always effective, though. It depends on the individual what method of teaching we should use. I think that's true, and I think we see that in Jesus. Jesus measured the situation. Whenever he was talking to various people, he used different approaches. But it, we, have to, we have to finally conclude that strong language is not necessarily condemned or wrong in the right circumstance. It is a necessary thing, and we're not bullying when we teach the truth. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was speaking to the elders at Ephesus, uh, said that he had not shunned to declare, how did he say this? Um, he said, uh, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Acts 20, verse 27. Well, did, did that, it, could, could Paul have said that if, while he was with them at Ephesus, he sort of skirted around issues that he thought might be sensitive to them? I'm not going to talk about that here because the, that might step on some toes, might make some people feel uncomfortable. I'm going to avoid that. If, if that had been his approach, he would not have been able to say, uh, uh, make that strong affirmation, I've declared the whole counsel of God. We need to do the same. Well, we have to do that. All right. we're, we're told to. All right. Um, so in regards to the first claim that Dan Savage makes, that we're guilty of bullying when we condemn homosexuality based upon what the Bible teaches, we deny that. We deny that, and if he wants to cite specific instances where people might have done such a thing, then we'll deal with that. But just to make a broad general statement doesn't prove anything. Chris in Atlanta said, how exactly is bullying someone when you disagree with a viewpoint? A bully is defined as a person who is habitually cruel or overbearing, especially to smaller or weaker people. The, word just, the world just uses this word to demonize those that have a viewpoint that's not politically correct. A pet peeve I have is being labeled homophobic if I speak out against homosexuality. Phobic indicates a fear and being afraid of something. I'm not afraid of homosexuality. Rather, I'm disgusted by the lifestyle. We do need to love the sinner and hate the sin, but we do not need to excuse and overlook the sin. I said it. Homosexuality is a sin. All right, Chris in Atlanta. Chris in the U.K., uh, says, I'd like to say it's saddening that a supposed leader of an anti-bullying movement called It Gets Better is guilty of attacking or goading one section of society, although he denies this as he posted on his blog. This is what he said on his blog. Apparently, I didn't know this. He says, I was not attacking the faith in which I was raised. I was attacking the argument that gay people must be discriminated against and anti-bullying programs that address anti-gay bullying should be blocked or exceptions should be made for bullying motivated by faith because it says right there in the Bible that being gay is wrong. Yet the same people who make that claim choose to ignore what the Bible has to say about a great deal else. So now Chris goes on. He says, who was apparently raised, he was apparently raised Catholic. To claim that you are not attacking Christians, but rather their book, makes as much sense to me as saying, if I was to attack your Bill of Rights, that I'm not attacking Americans, but their Constitution. 
They are surely one, the same as attacking the Quran is attacking Islam uh, and such like. Again, it's a shame and just goes to show where his agenda is. It's funny how those who want you to show tolerance are intolerant to you, having a belief to your uh, uh, statement or standards rather. And they are set up in the word. They and they are set up in the word. And sorry if I have the wrong president, but uh, I'm not sure what he's saying there. It can't be like Jefferson. I believe it was who went. Well, I lost that last part of that. I'm not. I'm not tracking on that last part. But I think he makes an interesting point, Monty, about these people who claim to be so tolerant have no tolerance at all for those who teach the truth of the gospel. Yeah, it's really sad that they're saying tolerance, tolerance. You've got to tolerate us, but we're not going to tolerate you. Yeah. Anthony uh, writes in and says, we are not guilty of bullying if we, in love and in a loving, nonviolent way, point out that homosexuality is immoral and condemned in the Bible. We would be guilty of bullying and of sin if we inflict physical or emotional harm on someone because they are a practicing homosexual. Christians must walk a fine line on this issue, the line between outspoken defense of biblical morality and vicious belligerence. We must not use slurs and epithets when, uh, epithets when speaking against homosexuality. We must not condone violence against homosexuals. Agreed. Don in Antioch, Tennessee says, People with decent morals do not even need a Bible to be anti-homosexual. I would think that the high majority of atheists are against homosexuality. People who single out Christians without including atheists and other faiths are actually bullying Christians, while the true Christians who righteously judge homosexuals are actually showing more love toward them than the liberals who encourage them. All right. So we got some good comments there. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about this business that he charged us with, Monty, that we ignore a lot of things in the Bible. Therefore, why can't we ignore what the Bible says about homosexuality? That's what we want to get to when we come back from this break. Don't go away. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this break. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. As we study and discuss important religious topics, it's not uncommon for someone to say, I disagree. This, of course, is not a bad thing considering the fact that there is much false teaching in the world. When someone teaches that which is false, it's essential to, quote, exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict, Titus 1, verse 9. While such disagreements are not pleasant, it is imperative that we defend the truth. Sometimes, however, there are those who voice their differences but are not willing to prove why. They simply say, I disagree, but they will not explain why or offer proof for their dissenting position. This is neither honorable nor profitable in seeking the truth. Before you disagree, be sure that you are absolutely certain of what has actually been taught. Many times people misspeak, and other times people misunderstand. Check out what the other person said by going directly to that one and by asking for clarification. This will often clear up the issue. Unfortunately, some Christians are inclined to spread rumor and innuendo rather than addressing their concerns to the one who has made the questionable statements. This ought not to be. If error has been taught, you must establish it by an appeal to the Scriptures. Personal opinions are not important, and I believe or I think statements prove nothing. Book, chapter, and verse reasoning, and thus saith the Lord evidence, must be produced. There is no value in saying, I disagree, if you cannot demonstrate why you disagree. This, of course, requires diligent study of God's Word so that we may identify error when we hear it and show what is right instead. The Apostle Paul said, quote, I am set for the defense of the gospel, Philippians 1.17. We should be too. That's this week's bullet point. 
Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. All right, and we're back. I'm, I'm asleep at the switch over here, Jeff. I'm not used to running the board on this end. Uh, we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're talking about an item in the news this week. Uh, Dan Savage, uh, who is the founder of a, of a pro- project called It Gets Better, an anti-bullying campaign to keep people from bullying homosexual students. That's the, the thrust of his work. He's a homosexual himself. Uh, uh, he's a, quite an activist in that cause. Uh, and uh, he's, he's attacked the Bible uh, because of what it teaches against homosexuality. That's what we're addressing in our study tonight. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you by the College of Youth Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you're anywhere in the Columbia, Tennessee area, Middle Tennessee area, just south of Nashville, we'd love to have you come and visit with us. Uh, you can vi- check our website for the times of our services and a map to our location. We'd also be glad to hear from you by email at any time. If you have a question, if there's something we can help you with, please let us know. Our address is questions at collegeview.com. Please be in touch. Um, As we continue to discuss this address by Dan Savage, Monty, he said that we ignore certain things like dietary restrictions, farming rules, rules about virginity. Now, real quickly, just to sort of uh, explain what he means there, we we ignore certain dietary restrictions in his in his uh, speech. He mentioned shellfish. Under the Old Testament law of Moses, you couldn't eat certain foods, including shellfish and fish without scales on them, like a catfish. You couldn't eat a catfish. There were other things you couldn't eat pork. Uh, there there were dietary restrictions under that law. That's what he has. That's what he means. There were farming rules that we don't adhere. We don't. By the way, we don't adhere to those dietary rules today. I've, uh, I like to eat pork. I, I usually eat it whenever I get a chance to. Uh, and so I'm not ad- adhering to what the Bible says about some of those dietary rules that you read about there in the Old Testament. Uh, there are certain farming rules in the Old Testament. For instance, uh, the law of Moses said that you were supposed to let your land lay at rest every seventh year. In other words, plant crops on a piece of land six years and let it rest the seventh year, not plant crops. Well, we don't do that. We plant crops. We try to get a harvest every time we get a chance. Uh, he, he, he gave some detail in his speech about rules of virginity. If a, if a, uh, if a young woman was given in marriage to man, but it, but it became obvious that she was not a virgin on her wedding night, then she could be stoned because she wasn't a virgin on her wedding night. Well, we don't do that anymore. He says, well, at least the Republicans haven't proposed that kind of legislation yet. He said, we don't know where, in his speech, he went on to say, we don't know where the GOP is headed, but they haven't proposed that yet. In other words, he's saying we ignore that rule about a a bride has to be a virgin on her wedding night. If we can ignore all that stuff, this is is the gist of his argument. If we can ignore all that stuff, why, why can't we ignore what the Bible says about homosexuality, too? Well, to, to get, to begin with, we don't ignore rules in the Bible. Uh, you mentioned the dietary restrictions, the farming rules. Uh, those rules were given to a specific set of people for a specific purpose. They were given to the, the Jewish people. Uh, it was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. and These were to be a peculiar people. God called them out. and He gave those particular people, the people we understand to be Israelites or Hebrews, that was their rules. The rest of us are Gentiles, and we were never bound by those rules to begin with. 
So we have to understand the context of where those rules were given. That would be like saying that we got to, in Tennessee, follow, we ignore the emissions laws that the state of California has. Well, we do that because we're not in California. Those laws don't apply to us. For instance, Jeff over here had trouble with his truck a couple weeks ago. Turns out his truck comes from California. It's got a whole bunch of extra pollution stuff on it that my vehicle doesn't have. I'm not in compliance with the California emission laws. Jeff wishes his car was not in compliance with the California emissions rules, too, because it cost him a bunch of money to get it fixed. So what you're saying is find out what law we're, what jurisdiction we're under. And we weren't under this jurisdiction that was given to Moses to give to the children of Israel about these certain dietary restrictions, these certain farming rules that they had to practice. Now, as far as the rules about sexual purity, we are under rules about that. But we find those rules in the New Testament. To say that we ignore rules that the Bible gives about sexual purity is wrong because all of my life, and I'm 50 years old, as early as I can remember, that I would have understood that type of subject. I know that in the various congregations that I've been attending in my life, those things were always pointed out that God requires us to adhere to these rules of sexual purity. We don't ignore that. We teach about that all the time, about how people should be virgins on their wedding night and things like that. So we're not ignoring that. We preach and teach about that constantly. But as he keeps referring back to the book of Leviticus, we don't teach those things because the book of Leviticus says it. We teach it because it's taught in the New Testament because that's what Christians go by is the New Testament. I think that that's the key here. He's shown a real great ignorance of the Bible in even suggesting that we should have to keep those dietary restrictions of the Old Testament or that we should have to keep the farming rules of the Old Testament or that we might be justified in stoning a young woman who's not a virgin on her wedding night. Those are all laws of the Old Testament given to the nation of Israel. And those were all, even the Jews today are not bound by that law. Some of them still try to live by it, but they're not bound by it because the scripture says Jesus nailed that law to his cross. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, blotting out the handwriting ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Skipping down to verse 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. What Paul is saying there is the Old Testament law of Moses has been nailed to the cross of Jesus. It's abolished. We don't live under that law anymore. We are not to be judged by that law. And so for him to suggest that we are being hypocritical or inconsistent because we eat shellfish or catfish or pork, or for him to say that we're being inconsistent because we farm our fields every year consecutively, we never give it a year of rest, at least it's not mandated or necessary. For him to say that we're being inconsistent exposes that he has a great ignorance about the Bible. He doesn't know how to rightly divide or handle accurately the word of truth. He doesn't understand the differences between the Old Testament law of Moses and the New Testament law of Jesus Christ. You know, he doesn't comprehend, just like we was talking about physical laws, man-made laws, jurisdictions, it's important what jurisdiction you're in. He does have no comprehension of the jurisdiction that we're living in now, which is the jurisdiction of Christ and the law that was given in the New Testament and those rules. I think you're exactly right. Chris in Atlanta says, 
The dietary laws and penalties regarding women not being virgins are part of the old law, which we are no longer under. The speaker is just showing his ignorance and or unwillingness to investigate the issues and report truthfully. I think he's exactly right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, uh, Chris in the UK says, I think first and foremost, Leviticus is not the only place we go to when we discuss homosexuality. There's Romans chapter one verses 26 through 28, which I think is probably one of the most explicit and easily understood passages in the New Testament condemning homosexuality. I agree with Chris on that. He mentions Exodus 20 verse 14. First Corinthians six verses nine through 11 is another good one in the New Testament to name but three. We're not only against homosexuality, but against all sexual sin, which is relations outside the marriage union. To say this is akin to the dietary laws or the wearing of mixed fabrics is, uh, to woefully miss the point. What I believe is important is that we take what God has created and use it how he would want it to be used. Food is a creation by himself and we can enjoy it as we see fit, but he has placed rules on it, which is not to be a glutton. I love cheesecake. A slice of it is fine, but six whole cheesecakes in a single setting. Well, that's uncalled for. He created the poppy and I'm thankful for that when I'm up, when I'm operated on to allow me not to feel the surgeon's knife, that there's an opiate from that plant. But if I were just to play with it so that as to, to escape my life, uh, that is out and out wrong and, and outlawed as witchcraft translated pharmacy, pharmacia. I'm married. I enjoy what comes with that. Sorry for being coy, but this is a family show, and I have three children to show for it. But for me to look elsewhere or to have as a form of entertainment is forbidden as much as I didn't care what the gender of the person I was to be with, uh, and so on, he says. So uh, I think Chris is right. Again, I think the key there is uh, that if, Monty, if you were addressing a homosexual, where would you go to prove that homosexuality is a sin? Well, one of the first places I would go is like we mentioned a minute ago in Romans chapter 1. Uh, we've been studying that on Wednesday night here at College View recently, the book of Romans, and we went over that. And it's very, as you said a minute ago, it's very clear, uh, almost explicit in the language that Paul used there in Romans that homosexuality is wrong, that it's an unnatural behavior. Um, God referred to it there as turned them over to a debased mind. So it's very clear that this kind of thing is something that's not to be participated in. And if if we didn't go anywhere else in the New Testament, that one should be sufficient. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it's a key thing for us to understand. We can go back to the Old Testament. There are very explicit condemnations of homosexuality in the Old Testament. We can go back there to see what God's historic view of a moral issue like homosexuality is. But when we're going to teach it as a sin for people today, we're going to base that on the New Testament, not the Old Testament. We use the Old Testament as a baseline to get some understandings about God and his dealings with people throughout all of earth time. We learn a lot about the nature of God in studying the Old Testament. That's right. But to establish something as law, we go to the New Testament. It has to be in the New Testament exactly. if we're being Christians. That's exactly because right. Christians are uh, followers of Jesus, and that started with the New Testament writing. Exactly. Anthony says, uh, sadly, this observation that we sort of pick and choose, he says, is all too often true of the majority of the so-called Christian world. They do pick and choose what they want to believe and practice, ignoring plain teachings on things like baptism, the role of women, and so forth. So unfortunately, Savage has a good point when it comes to so, so many so-called Christians. But if we're doing our absolute utmost to follow every precept of the New Testament, we must continue to stand against homosexuality and not compromise. Don, 
in Antioch says, what are you saying makes no sense at all? Because if we were to just cut out the entire book of Leviticus, or how about throw out the entire Old Testament along with all the verses in the New Testament that even hint that homosexuality is wrong, but leave those verses in the New Testament about whores and whoremongers, they will still go to hell if they do not repent, because if they are laying up with each other and not married, they are whores and whoremongers. And for those who do get married in states where same-sex marriage are legal, since these marriages are not scriptural, they will still go to hell along with all those of the opposite sex who are not scripturally married, such as the case of unscriptural divorce and remarriage. Uh, That that seems like a little bit of an extreme statement. Uh, But I, I would agree with the first part of that, Don. We don't need the Old Testament to establish that homosexuality is a sin. We could we could take Leviticus out. We could take all the statements of the Old Testament. They're very plain in showing how God has historically viewed that sin. But if, if we're going to prove it's a sin today, we're going to go to the New Testament to do that. So we don't have to have the Old Testament in order to establish that point. Uh, and I think that's got us on email. We're, we're up to time for our last break. We're going to take that. When we come back, we're going to go to the top of the hour, continuing to deal with this Dan Savage uh, video and the claims that he made. Mainly what we want to deal with as our program comes to a close in the next segment, he said the Bible is radically pro-slavery, and it got it wrong on slavery. Therefore, how could it possibly get it right on something that's even more complicated like human sexuality? That's what we're going to talk about when we come back from this break. Stay right where you are. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after these comments. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this announcement. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. Researchers continue to debate whether drinking alcohol in moderation yields any tangible health benefits after some studies had suggested that it might promote heart health and reduce the risk of diabetes or dementia. But Tim Naomi, an epidemiologist with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, said, quote, The bottom line is there has not been a single study done on moderate alcohol consumption and mortality outcomes that is a gold standard kind of study. That kind of study is the randomized controlled clinical trial that we would be required to have in order to approve a new pharmaceutical agent in this country. That information is via the New York Times. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 4, beginning verse 3, For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, Bible class teachers, and all church members had a strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you could always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? We're trying to be like a church you read about in the Bible, and we're still doing the same things that you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return for the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself at the College View Church of Christ. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're going to go to the top of the hour. We're talking about a video by Dan Savage that's been all in the news this last week. And we've, we're just trying to make sure that we have the Bible answers to the outlandish claims that he made in that speech. And I think we clearly do. I, I, I don't, uh, Monty, are you, do you feel intimidated when somebody like this Dan Savage makes an attack on what you believe? No, I don't feel intimidated about it because I know he's wrong. Uh, I know, I believe I know the facts as we've been discussing tonight about these various claims that he's made against us. 
and he's been wrong consistently on every one that we've discussed so far, and I believe he's going to be wrong in consistently on the rest of the discussion that we have about what he said about us tonight. It's clear that he doesn't know what he's talking about as far as what true Christians believe or don't believe. So there's no reason to be intimidated by him. It's just if it wasn't such a serious undertaking, it would be humorous the way he's going about making these arguments. Okay, I think you're exactly right. We're not intimidated by his comments. We've got the answers to all the faulty arguments that he's made. As we said earlier, he's done just a bang-up job of constructing straw men and then tearing down the straw men. But they're his straw men, they're not ours. That's right. We didn't believe that to start with. And so, I mean, he just really shows his ignorance of what true Christians believe on a variety of Bible subjects. Okay, that leads us to, we've got just a few minutes left, that leads us to one other argument that he made. Now, he kind of changed gears here. His first argument is we ignore a lot of stuff the Bible teaches and we prove that we don't. But then he made the argument on slavery. He said the Bible is a, he called it a radically pro-slavery document. For instance, he referenced the book of Philemon in which Paul wrote to the man Philemon who owned a slave. And he says, now, the Bible never told people don't own slaves. And therefore, the Bible was wrong on that subject. And since it was wrong on that subject, what's the chances it was wrong on something much more complicated? He says slavery is a simple question. That's the easiest moral question anybody ever confronted, slavery, he said. I'm not sure he's right about that, by the way. But he said if it missed it on slavery, then how could we ever imagine it could be right about homosexuality, human sexuality? So what do you think? First of all, what about the claim that the Bible is a radically pro-slavery document? When I hear or read that phrase, radically pro-slavery document, I would get the impression if somebody told me that that was the case, that the Bible was a radically pro-slavery document, that I would be able to look through there and repeatedly throughout the Bible, just over and over again, since we're using the term radically, I would see in there where the Bible says, Monty, you need to own slaves. Slavery is a good thing. You ought to have as many as you can afford, as many as it takes to accomplish whatever work you're trying to do. In fact, if you're a really good Christian person, you'd have to have a bunch of them. You would need to have as many as possible because we think slavery is good, it's very beneficial, and it's what God wants. If it's what God wants, then you should do as much of it as you possibly can do, right? And we would think if it was a radically pro-slavery document that it would be saying, Monty, if you don't have slaves, you're definitely going to hell. So that's another false charge, saying it's radically pro-slavery. Now, the Bible does address slavery, and it does so without ever specifically condemning it or mandating that it be stopped. In other words, he made an outrageous claim. But what about the more concerned student of the Bible who said, I'm troubled, and I've talked to people who've had this problem. I'm troubled by the fact that the Bible never did come right out and say, don't own slaves. How would you deal with it? Not Dan Savage. He's out there. He's obviously out there. How are you going to deal with a person who is more troubled by the fact that the Bible never specifically condemned slavery? Well, for one thing, there are instances in the Bible, and we understand and we have examples of it, where people sold their self into slavery. Normally, when we think about slavery in this country, we think about people went into some other foreign land, kidnapped a bunch of people, and brought them over, stole them, stole them away from their land and their family, kidnapped them, and then brought them to this other country, wherever that would be, possibly here in the United States or other places where people 
where slavery existed and sold them on some kind of slave market. We have that stereotype in our mind of slavery. But we know from, from what the Bible tells us that there are people that sold themselves into slavery. They got into some financial hardship, had debts that need to be paid or obligations that need to be met, maybe uh, feeding their family even. And they would make this contractual agreement. It would be like me. I'm on hard times, and I would come to you and say, Greg, my family's got to be fed. I've got to have money. Uh, I'll sell myself to you, my services to you. I'm going to be your slave, and you're going to give me a certain amount of money that, and that way my family's going to be taken care of. So I have what it, and the Bible doesn't condemn that. That was a free will agreement Bible, between me and you. Yeah. And so in that context, slavery's not necessarily wrong. It, it's almost like being an employee. The company that I worked for, I went and I talked to them, and I told them that I would sell my labor to them for a certain amount of money based on an hourly rate. And they agreed to do that. So, in effect, I sold myself to them as a slave or for those hours that we agreed mutually to work together. Or you used the example earlier. You you sort of sold yourself to the bank to mortgage your house. Yeah, you know, I wanted his house, and I didn't have the cash to buy it. So I obligated my labor for a certain amount of money over a certain time frame to them. In effect, I've indentured, I'm have i an indentured servant to the bank in order to get this house. All right. Now, there was that kind of slavery. Now, that's not to say that there wasn't some of the other kinds of slavery. In the Old Testament, for instance, we read about even the Israelites who went out to war, took captives and brought them back as part of the spoils of war. Mm -hmm. So there were some who were in forced slavery. There's no doubt about that. We're not denying that. We understand that. But again, understand that there's quite a movement away from that, even from the Old Testament time period into the New Testament. Now, the New Testament still talks about those who own slaves. They, Dan Savage is not wrong when he says Philemon was a slave owner. Others were slave owners. But what's interesting is that in the New Testament, while it does not mandate an end to slavery, say you've got to stop and stop it right now, I think that the Bible set forth principles that as they grew in application in society, they've led to the current day where um, among those who practice Christianity, we don't own slaves because we understand the, the, the principles of our Lord that make that a very difficult thing to pull off. In other words, it's hard to be a slave owner and adhere to all the other rules that Jesus wants. I think it could be done. I think, I think there were faithful Christians who did own slaves, but they were told very strictly how they were to treat their slaves to be faithful to God. It didn't say they had to give up their slaves, but it did tell them they had to treat them right. And I think in the process, the Bible set forth principles that over the course of time led to the complete demise of slavery among those who are followers of Christ. You know, Paul even told Philemon when he, that he was sending Onesimus back to him because basically Onesimus owed him that service. I kind of get the impression that maybe Onesimus is one of those people that had sold himself into slavery. But nevertheless, he told Philemon, says, don't take him back as a slave. Take him back as a brother. Take him back as my son. Paul referred to him as his son. And it says, what he's telling him is, treat him good. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Do it for my sake because I look at him like my son. But take him back and treat him good. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, now, Dan Savage says, the Bible's wrong on slavery. I don't think the Bible is wrong on slavery. I, I don't think the New Testament law of Christ that we live under missed it at all on the subject of slavery. Uh, I, I, think it, I think it's very clear how we're to treat one another and that even in relationships where there was a slave owner and a slave, there were rules set forth to, to protect both to do the right thing by one another. He tells the slave, work like you're working for God. You know, Put in your day's work. Do what you're supposed to do. And the owner, 
treat your slaves right. Treat them good. Make it so good they wouldn't want to leave, really, is what he's getting at. Yeah. Now, the other thing that Savage went on to say was, if the Bible got it wrong on slavery, which he said was an easy... How did he say it? Let me read this quote again. The Bible got the easiest moral question that humanity has ever faced wrong, slavery. Well, I don't think it was such an easy question in his day. And Anthony in the chat room mentioned slavery wasn't such an easy dilemma 200 years ago. I think that's right. I think, again, that's just one of the false arguments that Savage proposed to try and overemphasize his point. Among those who had slaves, that was not an easy moral question in its time. It's easy to us today because we're far removed from it. I've never had a slave, never wanted a slave, never will have a slave. I can say definitively, there will never be a case in my life where I own a slave. Therefore, it's not a challenge to me. It's easy to say, oh, that's no big problem. But it wasn't that easy, even here in America 200 years ago. Anthony goes on to say, the Bible does condemn the type of slavery that we had in the U.S. based upon multiple Christian principles. And I think that's the key. There were principles set forth whereby those who really believe in the Lord Jesus Christ would not have been able to effectively deal in slavery in an environment like existed in many places, even here in America, in that time frame. And so it set forth principles that, as I said earlier, led to the demise of slavery. Why does Dan Savage think that there's not just a whole lot of slavery still going on? What would he credit with having brought to an end, even here in America, brought an end to slavery? What caused that? Did just evolution happen? People decided they didn't like it anymore? No, I say Christian principles took root and grew, and people realized that it wasn't the thing to do anymore. And in effect, repented of it. Exactly right. The idea, okay, so the Bible got it wrong in slavery. That's such an easy question. If it got it wrong in slavery, how can we trust the Bible to be right on homosexuality, which is such a more complicated subject? Human sexuality, that's really complicated. And if you miss it on slavery, you're sure going to miss it on human sexuality. Well, now I think he's missed it again. What's so complicated about human sexuality? One man, one woman, four life. What's so hard about that? It seems relatively simple to me. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what he's, well, I guess with the human sexuality that he's trying to participate in, it probably is a complicated matter. But the Bible's understanding and teachings about human sexuality, like you said, are very simple. One man is to have one woman. They're supposed to stay together for all of their life. And, you know, really rather simple when you get down to it that way. I think so, too. Real quickly, let me catch these emails, and we're just about out of time. Chris in Atlanta says the Bible was not pro-slavery, rather did much to regulate the existing practice, making it more humane. Also, slavery was used in different contexts in the Bible. Many cases of it was a form of voluntary servitude, as you said, Monty. If the Bible got it wrong on slavery, how could it be right on human sexuality? He says, I see no proof that the Bible got slavery wrong. If the Bible is wrong in one single area, then, yes, we must throw it out. But as a matter of fact, the Bible did not get it wrong and has proven 100% accurate in all matters. There may be some challenging verses and such in the Bible, but when you take the time to be a student of the Word, you'll understand and appreciate those verses even more. It's really clear that this Dan Savage is not a student of the Word. Yeah. Chris in UK said, did it have it wrong? I think compared to what is happening else, it was doing better. It's not complicated. Those who are of the same sex have a dead end ahead. 
Those who commit to God's ways are to be fruitful and multiply. I lay life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Thanks for your comments, Chris. Uh, uh, Anthony says, uh, this is just a, a, a patently ridiculous assertion. If the Bible were radically pro-slavery, it wouldn't say things about how uh, all men are equal before God. God is no respect of persons. God would have all men to be saved. If the Bible were radically pro-slavery, uh, it would be saying things like the black man is inferior, or, inferior, oppress him at all costs. It never does that, right? So it's not radically pro-slavery. Uh, when he said it missed it on slavery, therefore it missed it on human sexuality, he said that's a bold statement. The fact is that the Bible in no way condones what is being called slavery by Mr. Savage. Again, Savage seems to be talking about American enslavement of African peoples in the 19th century. The Bible in no way condones this type of brutal institution. What I think is being misunderstood here is the master-servant relationships we see in the New Testament. The masters and servants under consideration in the New Testament are not the plantation owners and African slaves of the American past. The masters and servants were people engaged in mutually agreed-upon indentured servitude. The servants, like... The, well, like in Philemon, had a fair and legal contract with their masters and therefore had to abide by those contracts. Likewise, masters are specifically told not to harshly treat their servants like the white men did in the 1800s. Uh, and he quotes Ephesians 6, verse 9. Uh, proper consideration in the New Testament would easily demonstrate that the Bible does not condone slavery. All right, good comments. I think this is an important thing for us to discuss, Monty. Appreciate your help on the discussion tonight. This guy's way off base probably trying to deal with a, a person like him directly would fall into that category of casting pearls before swine. But we need to deal with the concept. We need to be ready to answer, set for the defense of the gospel, as Paul said he was. That's right. We need to be prepared to answer whatever Bible questions someone might have for us and, and do it with book, chapter, and verse and, and with sound doctrine. All right. Thanks for your help tonight, Monty. It's an honor to be here. Jeff, thanks for running the board tonight. Appreciate your work there. Uh, hopefully Jacob will be back in his chair next week. We appreciate everybody who's been listening to the virtual Bible study tonight, all who will listen in the archive version. Thanks for being out there. We always look forward to hearing from you. Until next week, uh, we encourage you to read and study your Bible every day. Live by it. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study tonight. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.